following is a continuation in our study of the covenants of the Bible. We hope you enjoy. Dear Father, we thank you for this time where we're able to meet virtually. We're able to still worship you and commune together even though we are apart. I pray for Tree that you, as he speaks and then he teaches about the new covenant, would you speak through him, through your spirits? Pray that we would all listen and be attentive. Uh, we love and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I want to start tonight by talking about love. I want you to think about your parents' love for you. So a good parent will never waver in their love for their children. And that's because their love for you is based on unconditional love. Now, there's a time, uh, personally for me as a father, that I really have to work hard to do that. An example, yesterday, so Mikey just started to stand up on his own. So he's not walking yet, but he can stand up in place. And he, he took two steps the other day, but we're still still waiting for that first walking moment. But Mikey's been pulling himself up on things, and he's been standing up straight. And we bought them these two buckets to play with because we got them a little sandbox in the backyard. And Mikey just happened to grab Addie's Elsa frozen bucket, and Addie was not happy about that. So... Addie proceeded to push Mikey down, and his head hit the corner of the coffee table, leaving a pretty gnarly bruise in the middle of his forehead. Needless to say, I was not very happy in that moment. You know, in that that moment, I was incredibly disappointed in her. I still loved her, and eventually, in my heart, I would be able to forgive her for that. Uh, But as I held Mikey, who was just shrieking at the top of his lungs, you know, he was so caught off guard and traumatized by it and in pain because of it, my ability to forgive was tainted by my sin in that moment because I was so mad. I was so frustrated. And it took me a good 10 minutes to go over and talk to Addie and kind of walk her through what happened. And, you know, granted, she's only two and a half, and she's still figuring this whole life thing out, you know, the whole action consequences things. But it took me a moment to forgive her. And that's the big difference between the way that, that God shows his forgiveness and the way that we forgive. Our sinful tendencies and our ability to get frustrated and angry and bitter can keep us from being able to give grace in a moment. Uh, but that's that's what God does for us. What would your world look like? Or better yet, how would your relationships be with your parents if they immediately gave you grace and forgave you every time you did something wrong right away? Now, I, I would imagine for some of you, your mouth is watering because you, you'd probably want to take advantage of that. But I want you to think on the loving side of that. Like, how would that change your relationship if – Instead of them getting frustrated like I did in that moment where I was so mad at Addie that I just couldn't even talk to her, but I would immediately show grace. That's a beautiful picture, and that's actually what we see here in the New Covenant tonight. What I'm really getting at here is when we know that we're not treated as we deserve, that should always lead us to a better appreciation and a better love. So, again, we see that in the New Covenant tonight, and God is really going to draw our attention to the fact that his forgiveness is free and inviting. So kind of our main point for tonight is the new covenant seeks to point out the transformation that God does in our hearts when we truly understand the extent of his grace. And as we've done for the past couple of weeks, I want to look at the context of where this covenant comes into play, because I think it's helpful in understanding what's going on in the life of Israel in this moment before this covenant happens. And then we're going to look at what the covenant actually says So let's look at the context real quick first. So God makes the fullness of his purposes 
guaranteed through the forgiveness of sins. And he does this in the midst of pretty much a lifestyle of Israel forgetting that fact. So he's constantly reminding them of his love, constantly reminding them of his promises. And they're just, you know, throwing it out the door at every given moment that they can. Going back to last week, we saw that the Davidic covenant, and William talked about how God would punish the Davidic line by sending nations to take them over and send them into exile. And that's kind of where we pick up here with this new covenant. God's people are in exile here. Uh, and Jeremiah begins this section between chapters 30 and 33, which is called the Book of Consolation. Here he's concerned with uh, giving consolation to those that still are part of God's covenantal promises. He's really speaking to people, reminding them of how good God is. And he's reminding them of this covenant that God has made, and he's going to give a, a fuller picture of it. We can spend all night talking about the prophets and just the context of each one. But I want to talk about two specific ones real quick because I think it helps us understand just how dire things were for Israel at this point. So you don't have to turn there in your Bibles, but if you read the book of Hosea, Hosea was called to prophesy right before the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians. And they were kind of experiencing this golden age right before that happened. So things were looking great. Things were awesome. And things were looking like they were just going to last for a while. and and you know, when when that happens in the life of Israel, usually that comes with a price. They tend to forget what God is doing. They tend to forget how God has taken care of them. And they kind of go into this moral decay a little bit, and they start to worship other gods. Uh, so God calls Hosea to speak to them. And, again, this is kind of the context of where we are with this covenant. All the prophets are kind of intermingling this whole idea. But specifically in Hosea, this is what he said, and it's pretty strong here. But this is what he says. Hosea 1, 2 says, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go and take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits a great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And then this wife that he gives to Hosea goes on and has a daughter, and God gives the name of the daughter No Mercy. Okay, How would you like to be called No Mercy? Like, Would that be a good name for you? That would be awful. And then he goes on and has a son. And you know what the son's name is? Not my people. So he has a son, and God is specifically saying, you are not my people. That's the world that they live in. They live in this world where they have given themselves fully over to idolatry, and they have not been pursuing the Lord. It seems a bit harsh, right? Hosea's wife would serve an example of Israel's unfaithfulness. And that's the world that they've been living in. That's the reason why that they've been sent into exile. But yet, even in his judgment because of their sin, the covenant of grace is still at play. God was faithful, and he invites them to return. So we see that sprinkled throughout all of Hosea. Another example being in Ezekiel. Okay, Ezekiel was called to prophesy during the Babylonian captivity, and we see God's judgment to Israel as Jerusalem is essentially taken over and sieged. But this book is full of imagery of how Israel's sin had drawn them far away from God, and Ezekiel's prophesying. You know, not only judgment, but also he's given a picture of hope and reassurance to God's people that are remaining faithful. Uh, so, again, we see the covenant of grace still at play. And then Ezekiel gives us kind of last focus on God's covenant when he talks about the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37. It's this classic picture of how God is the one that has to renew people's hearts if they're going to return to him. So what does all this mean? It, it means that. And again, we can go through all the prophets and kind of just lay out 
all the things that were going on, but that's kind of just two examples there. So up to this point, what we've seen, and I want you to think about it this way. Up to this point, at creation, we saw everything in order. And then at the fall, we saw everything in disorder. And then under the next four covenants, under Noah, under Moses, Abraham, and David, we see this foreshadowing of restoration. We see this not full picture of what God was going to do through the covenant of grace. And then when we get to the prophets and we get to the new covenant that we're talking about tonight, we see this regeneration, this restoration fully predict. And what we will see in Jesus, and we're going to talk more about that next week, that's the full culmination of it. But everything led up to the new covenant in the Old Testament. So Israel's experience in history of God's saving work has just been a shadow of the final and true work of salvation that he's going to talk about in the covenant that we're talking about tonight. And Jeremiah is hammering home for us that truth in the midst of a lot of unfaithfulness on God's people's part. But that's the world that they've been living in. They've been just swimming in idolatry. God has constantly shown them throughout history that he's been a gracious and loving God, but he had to use means like captivity and exile in order to draw them back to himself. So let's get into the New Covenant here. Would somebody like to read Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 32? Can I get a volunteer for that? I can do it, Tree. All right, thank you. Emma. just read 31 to 32 for me. Okay. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So as we look at the new covenant being given here, I think it's important to see what God's doing. But at first glance, we could miss something. So when we read those first two verses, and specifically verse 32, what might be a potential problem that you could see here? Anything sound off a bit? We've been talking about how all the covenants are, they all talk about the same thing. They're all pointing towards the same thing. And here he says something that kind of sounds different. Did you catch it? And I want you to read verse 32 for me one more time. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Okay, so he says, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt. So it sounds like he's establishing a different covenant here, but I don't think that's what he's saying. So just a couple thoughts. First, there's always been continuity between all these covenants up to this point. We've seen them building on each other, but they've all been a little bit different in some ways, too. So the fact that this one is different doesn't doesn't necessarily mean it's talking about a different covenant. And secondly, the new covenant depends on the realities that we see in the previous one. So God's not really wiping the slate clean here. He's not starting over, but he's giving something that's related. He's continuing the same work that he's been doing, but he's kind of pulling back the final bit here so that we can see it in its fullest. So what the new covenant is, it's the realization of the goal of all the covenants that have come up to this point. And we see that in verse 33 when he says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. When he says after those days, he's just referring back to the other covenants that he's made. So up to this point, he's been pulling it back one layer at a time. And this is kind of the main last layer that he's peeling back. So 
again, the new covenant is what everything was building to in the Old Testament. It really has to do with what, you know, I just mentioned a few minutes ago about the shadow and the prediction. So all the other covenants were the shadows of the forgiveness of sins. And this one is like the culmination of it. To kind of reassure you again that, that he's not talking about something new. Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 37 real quick. This is in the context of the Valley of Dry Bones. And if I could get... Uh, another volunteer to read that for me. We're going to be in Ezekiel 37, 24 to 25. I'll read that tree. Go ahead whenever you're ready. Oh, what were the verses again? 37. Uh, chapter 37, verses 24 to 25. Okay. It says, My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever, and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. So again, this is another passage that's referring to the new covenant here, and we see the other covenants being fulfilled here. We see the Davidic king from the Davidic line in verse 24. He mentions the law from the Mosaic law in 24 as well. Uh, We see the promised seed and promised land from the Abrahamic covenant in verse 25. So, again, the content of the new covenant, it's nothing new in the sense like it's a novelty, but rather it's like a progression. I'm going to screen share something for you real quick. So I drive a 2010 Toyota Corolla, and I kind of wanted to see what the Corolla had looked like throughout time. So so this was a Toyota Corolla from 1966, okay? Way longer before I was born even way longer before you were born. Now, this bottom one is a Toyota Corolla from this year. It's a 2020. Okay. Now, what are some of the major differences between these two cars? One's old. Yes, one is very old. (laughs) Okay. Do the body styles look very different? Yep. This one's kind of squarish. This one's a little bit more round. Okay. This one's got a big old honking grill right here. So they look very different, but the point of me showing you this picture is this is still a Corolla, is it not? Both of these are still Corollas. They're different versions of the Corolla. You know, there are different depictions of the Corolla, but they're still a Corolla, okay? And that's kind of what is happening with the covenants, okay? So this new covenant is not something brand new. It's not something that God is just revealing something that they've never heard before, but rather it's just progression. As we go back to... The New Covenant passage in Jeremiah, 31, verse 33. Let me get back there real quick. In verse 33, it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them, and I'll write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Does that language sound familiar to you all? The idea that I will be their God, and they will be my people? We've heard this many times in the Old Testament. And kind of the difference of what is going on in this covenant is God is writing the law on the hearts of his people. And Jeremiah, back in chapter 17, verse 9, says he's literally going to rewrite their hearts. Okay, So the new covenant is going to be unbreakable because God is putting it directly in our hearts as a guarantee and a promise of who God's people are. So when we get to verse 34, it says... I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So, again, this covenant is unshakably guaranteed to the forgiveness of sins. You know, the previous Mosaic covenant talked a lot about atonement and forgiveness of sins. 
But here in the new, these former examples and pictures are removed, and the goal of the covenant of grace is fully accomplished. The true people of God who have been changed by him for his glory are going to know the Lord, and they're going to trust him because he put the word in our hearts. So just as another illustration, I want you to, in your head, picture a puzzle that's not put together, okay? And imagine that the puzzle has absolutely nothing on it. It's just a white puzzle. So, like, you have all these pieces. You still have to put it together in order to make the puzzle. So in the context of the covenants, each one of those puzzle pieces has been the the covenants that we've been working on up to this point. And they all fit together to be the finished white puzzle that is the new covenant. So they're all going towards that. But we don't see what the new covenant is talking about in its fullest until we get to Jesus. And here's the thing. Once Jesus comes on the scene, that puzzle is going to make sense. We're going to see the picture that it's been talking about the whole time. It's going to be very clear to us and going to be revealed to us through the person and work of Jesus. Now, the original hears that heard the new covenant in exile, they longed and awaited a time of restoration. They longed and waited for a time where they could return home. The new covenant is preparing the way for the Messiah to bring them home, to bring them into full restoration. And how's God going to do this? By guaranteeing the forgiveness of sins for them. And who do we see that through? We see that through Jesus. Okay. And again, we're not going to spend too much time there tonight because next week we're going to look at how Christ is the fulfillment of every single covenant in the Bible. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about that next week. But Jeremiah's readers here, and I'm going to end with this, they they were kind of haunted by their former sins and they're grieved by their current sins that they have in their hearts. And just as they looked towards and looked forward to a, a fuller realization of the promise that we see in the new covenant tonight, So also do we as participants in the new covenant. We look towards the day when we see the full restoration of the whole earth, of our hearts, the sin that we have, the restoration of our minds and our bodies. You know, everything has been tainted by sin. But because of what God has done for us and because of his loving promises, he's guaranteeing that he's going to do that for us. Not only is he guaranteeing the forgiveness of sins, but he's guaranteeing to give us access to the Father. He's giving us access to heaven through the work of Christ. Because on the cross, Jesus not only died for our sins, but he gave us his righteousness. And that's the ultimate reward that this covenant is pointing us towards. So everything is led up to the new covenant, and the new covenant is going to drive us straight to Jesus. So that's kind of what I wanted us to kind of work through. We're going to split into small groups here in a minute, but let me pray for us, and then we'll do that. Gracious Father, we thank you that you have uh, called us by name. We thank you that you love us, Lord. We thank you that you have guaranteed the forgiveness of our sins through the new covenant, Lord. And what a wonderful picture that is of immediate grace that we have with you because you don't look upon our hearts and see our sin when we know you, Lord, but you look upon our hearts and you see what Jesus has done for us. And we just thank you for that beloved covenant that you've made from long ago that is becoming more and more beautiful and more and more rich to us the more we see your grace. I pray for each one of these students, Lord, that you would remind them of that truth tonight and remind that truth to them each and every day. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. We hope that this has been helpful for you. 
please keep an eye out for more audio upcoming from WIM. Thank you.